Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 on our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here is the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 220 of the Peristyle Podcast. We've got a great show for you. This week on the podcast, it's May 7th, 2012. We are going to go to Facebook and Twitter, reach out to social media, and get questions from you, all the Trojan fans out there, about what you want to know about this USC Trojan football team. We'll have Dan Weber on the show a little bit later on, answering your questions. We have Coach Harvey Hyde here in the first segment, going to talk to us about everything that's been going on in this USC football program. We do like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com, or you can call 206-888-6755. Leave a, leave a brief voicemail message, and we'll answer it there. You can also go to peristylepodcast.com and leave a voice message on the left side of the page. It's pretty self-explanatory. Just click on the, the link. Talking to the computer, and you can leave a voicemail for us there and ask a question on the Peristyle Podcast. We'll play it on the air, and you can hear your voice on the Peristyle Podcast. But we have Coach Harvey Hyde, as always, in the first segment. He's joining us all the way from Catalina Island. What's up, Coach? How you doing? Everything is just wonderful, Ryan. Thank you very much for uh, having me on today. It's a beautiful day here in uh, Avalon. Came over after uh, going to the UCLA scrimmage on uh, Saturday at 5 p.m. in the Rose Bowl and then went on over to the SC and the Galen Center to watch the USC National Championship uh, volleyball match against UC Irvine. And then the next morning said, you know, I need to take a break. I hear the weather's great over there. So I'm over here for a couple of days and then back for more uh, work. Not that I don't work from here, (laughs) but it's just a different atmosphere here. It sort of uh, slows you down a little bit, you know. Yeah, you're working right now. You're on the Peristyle Podcast. Yeah, I forgot. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I wanted to thank our sponsor before we jump into everything, Southern California Tickets. You can go to sctickets.com. Give them a call, 1-800-888-7287 if you need tickets for anything. And, of course, there's a lot of good sporting events going around. The LA Kings on fire in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And the Clippers and Lakers both have leads in their series as well. Dodgers and Angels. Albert Pujols got his first home run, so if you want to see that, you can't go see that first home run anymore. But uh, check out any of the games all locally. You can go to sctickets.com and check them out. And Coach, now that you're back, and uh, I know you had a busy sports weekend, I think uh, USC fans kind of hear a lot from the other side of town about UCLA. You were out there, Jim Mora Jr., his first uh, spring as the USC, uh, UCLA excuse me, football coach. I guess maybe some some inside info on what's the uh, enemy behind the gates, what's going on on the other side of town uh, with UCLA spring practice. Well, let's start with the facility itself. The Rose Bowl looked absolutely fantastic with the new construction going on there. It's unbelievable. The press box just overtowers the playing field. It is huge. It's going to be magnificent. It changes the whole appearance of the Rose Bowl. And the new tunnels uh, entrances on both the north and south end are just about completed that's going to be uh, beautiful and the grass was perfect so it is the the granddaddy of them all it really is and it's going to really be a spectacular venue so just let i want everybody to know that uh, it, it is going to be a, uh, a a real improvement to the rose bowl game national championship game and all the events that are held there in the rose bowl 
as far as UCLA was concerned, uh, had an opportunity to get down on the field, walk around, size up the players, which I like to do. I really do. I like to uh, look at them. And, you know, sometimes in the programs it says 6'6 six, six or 6'4, six, and maybe someone's really 6'2 and 6'3. So I like to go down there and, and size them up and look at their muscle tone and watch their speed and see how they react to the ball and their attitude as far as players. Uh, are they angry? Are they competitive? Are they, or are they out there just to finish the spring practice? So I had a chance to do that. And then I, w- I went up in the stands, as I always do at the SC scrimmages. You hear me talk about that, where I can see a little bit and evaluate a little bit and Basically, it was a difficult thing to evaluate. Why? Because I wasn't sure just how their matchups were. I don't know their teams. I know they went offense against defense. And I didn't know if one was going against three or one was going against ones. Uh, I know on defense they had a lot of people hurt. They didn't have a starting linebacker that scrimmaged. Their secondary secondary was depleted a little bit with injuries. So they've had a lot of injuries. Uh, But when I – the general opinion – of UCLA after watching them this spring and then last spring is on offense. I would say they have a plan. Uh, they, they, they know what they're trying to do. They have a scheme. They attacked you defensively for what you give them. And I think they're better offensively uh, with their scheme and what they're attempting to do. If you remember the Arizona state offense, it's exactly the same offense with Mazzone, who was the offensive coordinator at Arizona State as the offensive coordinator at UCLA. So it's the exact same offense, and they run it pretty good. They really run it pretty good. It's the quick type of offense where there's no huddle, and you run as many plays as you can, as fast as you can, and the quarterback's got to read the defenses and so on. And one thing good that I like about it, it prepares your defense, too, working against a quick play uh, offensive football team. You just don't uh, see it. Uh, the day you have to play Oregon or Arizona or whoever, you see it every day in your practice, and I, help, I think it helps condition you to that type of play. Now at SC, when you watch their spring practice, it's all huddles, and uh, you don't get that fast pace during the spring as UCLA has had that fast pace because they're facing their own offense, which runs that type of offense. I thought Hunley, the quarterback, uh, looked good. I think he'll be a, he's a great athlete. I think he'll mature into being a potential starter. Uh, he ran well, threw pretty good. Prince had a big day passing the football. Uh, they really didn't have any opposition on defense. They just went up and down the field and scored almost every possession. So it's hard for me to figure out, are they that bad on defense? Or did they want to emphasize the offense uh, and make them look good? Because defensively, they really didn't sparkle much. They got an interception, uh, one or two. They got beat deep a lot. Uh, So uh, I'm not sure if they're just that depleted with injuries or if the offense is that much better than the defense. So it was hard to really figure that out. Franklin, of course, uh, is a pretty good running back. the other quarterbacks, uh, Newhazel didn't get a rep. Uh, they threw, they threw a lot. They threw for a lot of yards. I, I don't know if the running game was quite as sharp as it was last spring. Their passing game was pretty sharp, pretty sharp. They threw the ball much better than they've ever thrown the ball. And then, you know, as we all know, 
they have struggled passing the football. So they spread the field. I mean, there's no question about it. They spread the field. They're one remaining back, and uh, they, they, they did that pretty good. So are they better than they were a year ago offensively? De- offensively, definitely. Defensively, I can't tell. It, I hope that that was not their varsity or their first unit out there because they got just crushed. <laughs> so, so I'm not sure if it's uh, you know just what's going on on defense. So instead of fifty to nothing, maybe it'll be seventy to twenty-one. Is that well? <laughs> I don't know. But they, they had a lot of players that weren't scrimmaging, but right. they really didn't slow down their own offense. So it was maybe you know it's hard to tell if their offense is that good or their defense is that bad. So I mean, but they don't know their personnel like I know the USC personnel. Yeah, and it's a long way to go. Obviously, you can't, you couldn't tell as much from watching USC spring games. Same thing, I'm sure with uh, UCLA. But it's always good to kind of catch up and see what's going on the other side of town because there's been a lot of chatter. You know, getting a new coach, there's usually a lot of enthusiasm and uh, you know, fans. Oh, they had all that. Out. They had all that raw, raw stuff. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for uh, sharing hey, with raw, that. Raw, raw. A couple of things. You know, I just mentioned. You know, when SC does their spring game. It's a spring game. I mean, it's all football. UCLA is doing a spring game with promotions. Uh, during the game, uh, they interview the coaches. During the game, they interview players. Uh, to me, that's not focusing on what you're supposed to do out there. So it's a different philosophy as far as in the spring. The next day, of course, they had select a seat, which means you go over to the Rose Bowl and you can walk around and sit in any seat, and then you can buy that seat. So maybe that was part of their promotion, but uh, they they were doing that during the scrimmage. Okay. Uh, well, let's get to some USC football questions. Like we did reach out to uh, social media, and we're going to get to some of those questions. If you want to follow us on Twitter, it's at uh, Inside Troy, and if you want to follow us on Facebook, you go to facebook.com/uscfootball.com, all spelled out. And you can't put the dot, you put D-O-T instead of the dot. So uscfootball.dot.com. And uh, you can find our Facebook page there. we got like 40-something thousand fans on there discussing USC Trojans 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And you can follow me on Twitter, like I said, at Inside Troy. Um, first question we got is an email question, Coach. It's from Robin Ukaika. And he says, he's a regular listener to the podcast. You and Coach Hyde were discussing... Tradition with respect to uniforms in college football. I strongly support the traditional USC uniform. I hope that never changes. USC is USC. Let the likes of Oregon do what they do. Regarding the uniforms, they do have a question. I have on my wall at the office a picture of Ronnie Lott and one of Marcus Allen while playing for the Trojans. I noticed the face masks are gray like they are now, which is good in my opinion. The socks are white like they had been until I guess that was slightly changed starting last year. But the, the shoes were classic black with white shoelaces. I believe this held pat until recently when I started seeing more white shoes or white-black combo shoes on most of the players. I guess it's a Nike thing, but I would like the team to start wearing black shoes with white shoelaces again to get back to the tradition of old. Like you were discussing, when you start changing little things like shoes and sock colors, pretty soon it would be okay to start changing everything else. It's just when you do one little thing at a time, it tends to go unnoticed. Could you please discuss this with Coach Harvey Hyde on your next podcast? I would greatly appreciate it. Good job on the podcast and fight on. That's Rob and Ukaika. Thank you, Rob. Uh, yes, I agree with you. When you start to change little things, and the next year it's another little thing. I noted that the volleyball team the other night had black socks on too. Not that that 
his, uh, I don't know what color they ever wore before, but they had black socks on too. And you do change things. And uh, I'll give you a story. Uh, when I was at UNLV, we were a pony school, pony shoes. And uh, some players like to wear them. Some players don't like to wear them. But I'm, I'm a stickler that, hey, if we're a pony school, we're going to wear pony shoes. And uh, we're going to, you know, do what they, they, our contract says. They're going to be all white or they're going to be all black. And they're going to be, the shoelaces are going to be one color or another. And uh, we wore white shoes at that time. I don't know if you guys like those, but they look pretty flashy with uh, our white shoelaces. At SC, I admired their Riddell. If you remember, they wore Riddell shoes. Riddell shoes, with they were black, white socks, white shoelaces. That's what they wore. Riddell used to have some nice shoes. And uh, now uh, they are a Nike school. And when you're a Nike school, you wear Nike shoes. Now, uh, they don't, the kids, you know, as long as they're in a Nike shoe, that's what the important thing is as far as Nike's contract. But there are different types of shoes. Uh, I, I like to see our team always in the same shoe. Uh, different, you know, different cleats on the bottom, of course, because it depends if you're playing on natural grass or what type of turf you're playing on or wet weather or, deep, or, or, or hard turf. So, yes, I agree. I, 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 and I noticed that, too. There are those different changes. There's changes such as some kids wear one long sock and one short sock or, or things like that. Uh, that is things kids do unless you keep control of it and you say, you know, you can wear and do anything you want off the field, but on the field, this is what we do. I know it's a difference uh, in recruiting sometimes. If kids don't feel you'll let them have their own identity, it's a way of having an, an identity. Uh, you see in the NBA these guys now in college basketball wearing the long white sleeve on uh, on one arm. Uh, as far as, you know, LeBron James started it, and I'm not sure who all wears them. So they start these different types of identity things. And I think it gets away from the team, the team, the unity thing. Uh, that's just mine. I'm old school. I'm old school. Now, if it's an injury and you have to wear it, that's a whole different package. But... Uh, yeah, you know, kids are kids, and kids will take it as far as they can take it unless you say something about it. Dancing in the end zone, celebrating. Uh, they're 18, 19-year-old kids, and uh, they will try to do whatever they can get away with. Let's put it that way. And I did the same thing, and probably a lot of our listeners did the same thing. But I feel that termites can ruin any building, a bunch of little things. So I like to eliminate a lot of little things and bite it at the butt and and just uh, everybody be the same. It's not me and team. It's team and then me. And uh, that's old school. Maybe it won't work today. But if you approach it right with your team and explain it to your team and and have that team attitude, remember, you can't make a kid want to play football. He's got to want to play football. A lot of people think they can drive a kid into wanting to be a great football player. You can't do that. The kid has to want to be a great football player and is willing to give up anything to be that great football player. So I have a hard time believing that kid won't play or won't do this or won't do that. Those kids will beat. Uh, they won't do it our way. We'll beat them when we play them. <laughs> All right. 
Uh, let's go to Mike, uh, he's Seattle Trojan. He wants to know, he said, it's a word that keeps us all on edge, the dreaded D word or depth. Uh, it seems better than the last few years, but the areas of vulnerability are where he wants to know. And how will the incoming class relieve some of the depth issues and will practice be curtailed from defensive perspective to keep all healthy, uh, meaning are they going to stop tackling, things like that. So what, what, are you, what are your comments, Coach, on where this uh, team stands as far as depth goes? Well, you know, everybody's been talking about the depth of running back. Uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you only need one. Uh, it's great to have a lot of them. And don't get me wrong, I think they'll bring in three running backs. I really don't think they'll bring in two. I think they'll bring in three running backs. But they're really recruiting some great running backs. And if they can get commitments from all these three kids uh, or four kids, they'll take the first three to probably commit. I'd take them all. My, my philosophy is they don't want to play against them. And they need running backs, so I think they can take them. So I think you've got to build up the running back position, and it brings great competition. But I think you only play one maybe two I really believe in that you know get the timing play one guy and have everybody else ready to play play your best one as many times as you can play him as far as the rest of the offense I feel they're in good shape they've had more they have more depth on the offensive line than they ever had tight end is unbelievable receivers you've got probably the best set in in the country and good depth especially with Rodgers coming in and, and Aguilar who knows where he's going to play Defensively, I think you've got more depth at linebacker than a year, a year ago. Your secondary is unbelievable. Best group of secondary players in the country. Uh, so depth there is strong, and Bowman's coming in along with uh, Seymour and uh, the other kid from uh, where's Flamingo Wood. What's that kid's name? Shelton. Shelton. Davion Shelton. Yeah, he's. Uh, I yeah, like him. He's, He's coming in defensive line-wise. Defensive ends, I think, are maturing and getting ready to have a great year. I know Kennard should have a great year. It's time for Horton to have a great year. And and these other kids uh, have matured and uh, should be ready to play. I think the defensive tackle position is where most of the question marks might be. But uh, those kids have got to step up, and they got to play. they got to play big, fast and big. And I think Coach Orgeron can bring those kids along. And with Williams coming in from Florida, if you have to, you shove him down inside. Uh, and, and, and you just make it happen. you got to make it happen. You can only play two of those tackles at one time, and they just got to come through. they just got to get it done and play hard and, and, and do it. The best thing to do is not complain about what you don't have, but you can't change that. you got to take what you have and make it do and make those kids believe that you believe in them. So you don't talk about, well, we need this, we need that. Hey, you grab those kids and say, hey, you're our guys. You're our Trojan defensive tackles. you got to get it done. I mean, don't, don't be talking about you're this 6'2 or 280. Hey, don't worry about what other people think. You worry about you thinking what I think. And you get out there and attack the offensive line and get it done, and we don't, we'll worry about it. And uh, what what our performance is. Don't worry about how anybody else evaluates you. And that's important. You take the kicking game. How can it get any better? As far as with the Hatari and and uh, Negretti. So when you look at the team, I think the team has all the qualities. Quarterback. I shouldn't even mention that because you got Barkley back. Of course, I think Barkley needs to get tuned up in the fall, get a lot of reps, and get back into rhythm with the team and his receivers and. He had uh, almost a spring off, I would say. 
He's got to get back into the swing of things, get back into shape, and be the leader of that football team because that's what it's all about, and that's why he came back. So he came back to have a great year. So the only way you have a great year is you come back and lead that team, get your reps, and be ready to play. So that's the way I summarize this team. I think this team can be as good as it wants to be. I really believe that. I think now, don't get me wrong, I think Oregon is going to have a, 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 another great team, and other teams are going to be great. No one's going to lay down for the Trojans. So I'm going to tell you, when, when Oregon can have 44,000 people at their spring game, that means they've taken football pretty serious up there. So uh, I'd say UCLA had about 6,000 on Saturday. Trojans had about 15,000. I don't know what the other schools have had. But that's the way you do it. You're supposed to be good. You're going to be good. Now what you got, what you got to do is put it together. Don't read all the publications and become a football team. You know, have to become a family. And bring in the new kids and utilize them if you can. And uh, those kids, if they can come in, come in and beat you out, then, hey, they deserve, you don't deserve to play them because you've been here and you know the offense. And if a freshman comes in and beats you out, hey, buddy, it's your fault. And that's what I used to always say. I used to always say, when it was recruiting time in the month of May, I used to put my safari hat on. I'd say, I'm going big game hunting. And I used to tell my team that. Hey, I'm going out to find find players that will put you on the bench. So that means we got better. So if you allow me to go out and bring somebody else in that will put you on the bench, don't look at me. Look at yourself because you know more than they do, and you know where we have to go. Makes sense, Coach. Uh, let's see. Thanks for that one, Seattle Trojan. Let's go to Martin. Uh, out in Ontario, California, he'd like to know uh, what our thoughts are on why the Pac-12 is to be con- is considered a quarterback conference and the SEC is considered to be DBs and defensive line uh, heavy, but the DBs and the SEC get smoked by above-average passing attacks like, LS- like Alabama did to LSU. Thanks, love the show. Keep up the great work and the inside info. That's Martin in Ontario. Well, Martin, thank you for checking in with us. Uh, it's always been a quarterback conference. And when you go back and, and look at the history of the NFL, most of the quarterback caveman now, and you can go through it all. Uh, I'm trying, I'm stuttering. There's so many of them, Elway and Plunkett and it goes on and on and on of the great quarterbacks that have come out. Ryan Leaf was, of course, didn't make it, but he was a great quarterback. Warren and, Moon. And, and pardon me? Warren Moon. Oh, Warren Moon, I mean, oh, man, did he light it up. And uh, so it goes on and on and on. It's, it's a great history. for Why? Because, because in the West, they've always thrown the ball more. They've been more of a spread-out, open type of attack football team, wide open, with Bill Walsh and John Ralston and these players that, that uh, are these coaches that had a philosophy of winging the ball around. In the Midwest, it's more, uh, it had been more, uh, smash mouth type of football. Now it's starting to loosen up a little bit with Brady at Michigan now and Urban Meyer at Ohio State and these other coaching philosophies that have come in now in the Big Ten because they haven't been able to compete with some of the other conferences because of the speed in the conference. The Pac-12 has always had great speed and great receivers, as you mentioned. Uh, you take the Southeastern Conference, uh, they've had great quarterbacks, but not the number of of quarterbacks that the West Coast has had. And they have a different philosophy in the Southeastern Conference. It's great defense. Now, don't get me wrong. You've got to play great defense everywhere. But they, they put their best players and all their emphasis on defense and special teams. 
And that's why so many great players come out of the Southeastern Conference and go to the NFL that are defensive players. Take a look at this year's draft. And they do have a great selection of area of players like that. Offensively, they do not spread the field, really. They, they line up and they run more of a conservative type of offense where they say we're not going to beat ourselves. If someone's going to beat us, they're going to beat us because they're better than us. And when you have great athletes, it's really tough for someone else to beat you when you have better athletes. And that's their philosophy because they, they emphasize football in those regions. Football is their major entertainment year-round. They have 50,000 people, 60,000 people, 80,000 people at their spring game because that's their life down there. And nothing against it. I think it's tremendous. I'd love to see 80,000 people in the, in the Coliseum for spring practice. But the weather, the, uh, the atmosphere, there's other things to do. In Los Angeles, you've got the Lakers, you've got the Kings now, you've got the Dodgers, you've got everything going on, Clippers. Well, people have a choice. But in some of the places down there, they don't have that choice, and that's their life, which is great to be that type of uh, uh, follower, booster of a, of, a, of a program. So I think that's what, what it is down there. They, they, they're able to get their players in school. They're able to keep their players in school. And uh, I think that's the key. You recruit them and you keep them. And there, there's a great recruiting battle down there for great talent. They have great talent in the Southeastern Conference. Certainly do, Coach. And I think a lot of people are looking forward to a potential USC versus Alabama or LSU or Georgia or something in the uh, national championship game. I think that would be well-watched. I think everyone would be into that. Uh, we got a couple more, Coach. Uh, Andrew sent in a question about uh, kind of a where are they now, some of the great Trojans that maybe didn't really make it in the NFL. Uh, he listed a bunch of different names. Well, Andrew, we'll have to do some research on some of these guys. I, I talked to a couple of them. Um, so I can kind of give you updates on them, but we'll, uh, maybe we'll do that next week, coach. I'll do some research and we can, uh, discuss some of these guys, uh, where they've been, but I want to, wanted to let Andrew, we weren't ignoring them, but it wasn't a real simple question. It was, you have to kind of find out where a lot of these guys are. So, um, we'll, we'll end up doing that next week, but there was a, a Facebook question coach on our Facebook page. I wanted you to see if you could take a shot at that. We have a couple of them. Josh wanted to know. Do you see Lane Kiffin making this team a past-first team after Matt Barkley leaves? I love the air raid, but I'd like to see tailback you cause havoc once again. What do you think? Well, I, I just think this. I think that at USC, uh, it's passed and run. I haven't seen over the last two years it be a run and then pass. I think uh, when they became a more balanced football team towards the end of last year, they became a better football team. You can't force a pass down someone's throat. You've got to be able to keep a defense off balance. You've got to be able to do it both. And when they discovered that Curtis McNeil had a big heart and never went backwards but ran forwards, and when he broke in the open, was never run down, and ran behind Khalil and Martin, for big plays, they discovered a whole new uh, part of their offense. They also found a whole new part of their offense after they discovered their tight ends and Marquise Lee. They really decided, because early in the season, 
Woods was catching eight passes, 10 passes, one game, 14 passes. And everyone was, uh, it was more or less one dimensional uh, as far as Robert Woods was a guy. And if you took Robert Woods out of the game, they really didn't know what to do, I thought. But as the season went along and they all discovered that the tight ends could play, uh, that the backside was wide open because they were cheating over to Woods' side, it be, that became very hard for them to cover the whole field with great athletes. Then they discovered that uh, the running game was uh, a big part of their success at the end of the year. And McNeil could run the football. They had big plays out of the running game. They started to believe in the running game. And uh, I think that made them what I've been saying all along, along with their defense and the way their defense improved. At the end of the year, I truly believed, and I said that they were the type of football team that could have beaten anybody in the, in the country on a given day on a neutral field because they got better during the season. They improved as players and they improved as coaches. And what I mean by that, it meshed. They they, they understood what they had to do to get better as a football team. And they did do that. Special teams, if you remember, improved too. Because early in the year, they were going for a lot of two-point conversions. And that was questionable. Because they got behind and got themselves in difficult situations with that. But as they improved that, and their field goal kicking was, what, 15 for 17, I think it was, and as far as Hatari and their punting game couldn't have got any better with Negretti, that they believed in themselves as a complete football team. And at the end of the year, they were a complete football team, defensively, offensively, and with special teams. So that football team improved from the first game of the year to the last game of the year, to, and the last game of the year I thought could beat anybody. Makes sense, Coach. And I think, a lot, like I said, a lot of people looking forward to that this year. We'll see if USC can avoid some early stumbles. That number, that third game at Stanford is going to be tough, but avoid avoid some of those games early. Uh, be able to beat the the tough teams like the Notre Dames and the Oregon's, and who knows, could end up being in the national championship game again. Uh, should be a good bowl game, no matter what. But I think that's what USC fans are kind of looking for. Um, well, Coach, thanks again for coming on the show. We really appreciate you taking out some time, even though you're over there in Catalina, still working, but over there. Uh, <laughs> enjoying the sights and enjoying the weather but hope you keep enjoying it for the uh rest of the couple of days you're out there and we'll talk to you again next week ryan again i want to thank you very much and i also want to tell people that southern california ticket who's our sponsor did a great job for my daughter last week they got tickets to Coldplay, and i'm telling you you couldn't get a ticket anywhere that sold out immediately but southern california ticket got two tickets to Coldplay. so nice. i'll tell you they can take care of you too I heard they did a great show, and they did a little tribute to uh, the Beastie Boys, who had a fallen member, and I saw that on YouTube. It was pretty special. But anyway, Coach, thanks again for uh, coming on the show. We'll talk to you next week. And everyone else, back in 30 seconds, we've got Dan Weber. He's going to be answering all of your Facebook and Twitter questions coming up in just 30 seconds. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. 
Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We're going to talk with uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. We got a lot of questions uh, via asked this morning about Twitter and Facebook. Any team questions? So we'll have a bunch of those. We can rapid fire through those. But there was some interesting tweets that were coming out over the weekend. And uh, if you read the uscfootball.com message boards, the uh, football board, people were talking about some of the latest developments with uh, Paul D and the Todd McNair case and, and what the what Todd McNair's lawyers are asking for and what the judge ordered. And uh, Dan Weber, we got a question from Bob in Irvine, and I guess we can start off with this. He says, I'm convinced that uh, about Paul D., he saw USC as an opportunity to wedge another program, being USC, in between the two worst scandals in college football at the time, SMU and Miami. If he was able to replace Miami at number two, his legacy from Miami wouldn't be so tarnished. He did just that and had a willing committee to go along with his outrageous recommendations to compare US, USC's case uh, to Miami is laughable. And I guess maybe you could comment on that, Dan, and, and also the, the latest developments that would be going on in this case. My, I think you know, Bob is, is exactly correct. Uh, I think most of us who are on the press conference, uh, they have an hour-long press conference uh, uh, with the chairman of the Committee on Infractions right after the uh, penalties were handed down, the findings and the penalties. And uh, most of us were stunned by uh, the way Paul D. referenced his own Miami case, laughed about it, uh, kind of just was pulling things out of the air in terms of how he decided on penalties. And it was interesting that he made the USC's just a little more uh, strict than Miami got for you know, the, the largest Pell Grant scandal in the history of the United States and over $660,000 funneled to athletes through the, through uh, people who had worked for the school or were working for the school, over 100 athletes involved. And uh, in that case, I think Miami uh, offered uh, that they would they would go for seven scholarships in, uh, in one year. Uh, and it's just, it, it, it's, really uh, it was beyond silly that he tried to compare the USC case and actually make the USC case worse. It's interesting that since then, the NCAA has ruled that uh, the chairman of the Committee on Infractions will no longer be required to do that press conference because they were clearly embarrassed uh, about Paul D's performance in that press conference, and it was nobody had ever heard anything quite like it. And then when you realize, wait a minute, the guy who's deciding on USC's penalties has a dog in this fight. He's got his own scandal at Miami. Who knew there was a new scandal, you know, at Miami that might have been worse than the the old scandal, but it was clear that he wanted to make USC uh, worse than Miami. So to say that, well, we weren't that bad, you know, and only reason was that Paul D was deciding that. So, uh, so I think you, you're on the on the right on the right track with uh, uh, the fact that Paul D. had no business whatsoever, A, ever being on a committee on infractions, 
D, ever being the chairman of the Committee on Infractions, and C, uh, uh, deciding anything that has to do with the USC case where he clearly tried to take that case and make it uh, worse than his own case at Miami. And uh, uh, just it's a stunning uh, display of, of, of the NCA's just complete lack of awareness of uh, conflict of interest uh, issues and how this looks to the rest of the world and how they've been doing this for so long, I think they don't even understand it. They don't get it. Uh, you know, they put people on there who had an axe to grind against USC. Uh, and uh, I think USC played a little bit too nice and, and kind of, you know, USC got hammered for, oh, they weren't cooperative, but, but basically... USC went along with a lot of that stuff. USC didn't object to Notre Dame's Missy Convoy being on there. They didn't object to Josephine Petuto, who came on there with a vengeance to, you know, specially be put on that committee to replace the uh, Pac-10 person. And uh, it just, you know, but yes, you're right about Paul D. And, and we'll be interested to see how this all plays out in the Todd McNair case with uh, Paul D's. Uh, actions where he doesn't have an NCA rubber stamp where they're going to say, oh, it's fine, everything he did was okay. Uh, I'm not sure uh, that the legal system uh, is going to uh, rubber stamp everything that Paul D. did. I think there's some interesting things going to happen in the next few months. And then maybe give an update on the what the court ordered. And, uh, well, it sure sounds like that they're, they're specifically saying that, the NCAA, uh, that uh, Paul D., uh, now, it's an out-of-state deposition for a case in, in California, in Los Angeles Superior Court. But uh, there, uh, uh, the judge has ruled that, that in, uh, in the request that uh, Todd McNair's lawyers have made for discovery, that they absolutely have the right to depose Paul D. as the chairman of the Committee on Infractions to ask him, you know, all sorts of questions as to, what he was doing, what he was thinking, how they came to their rulings, what uh, what evidence they, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then it certainly looks like that uh, the second part of that, and we had, I think, talked about that in the war room kind of sketchily about three weeks ago. I mentioned that what you were hearing from the legal community was that the NCAA, in their judge shopping, uh, judge shopping had maybe made a mistake and that they'd gotten a judge who wasn't going to, you know, fool around and was not going to let them delay, 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 and wasn't going to let them uh, kind of bluff their way through. And it, it appears that he has uh, ordered uh, that uh, the NCA made a, uh, a motion that there was a freedom of speech issue, that they had the right to say what they said about McNair. And uh, now it looks like that uh, McNair's lawyers have said that in order to have a hearing on the NCA's motion that they had the right to say what they said, they need, uh, uh, basically, they need discovery of, for example, all the emails that were sent between um, the uh, Committee on Infractions people and the enforcement people, and the NCA wanted to limit it to only emails between members of the Committee on Infractions. Well, that's a good strategy since from what we can tell, a lot of those people don't pay enough attention to send an email and show up for the hearings and 
and seemed to have, uh, you know, they hadn't read uh, the evidence, they hadn't read what USC submitted, uh, didn't seem to know what was going on. The key, uh, I think, is going to be, was there any uh, emailing back and forth between the Committee on Infractions and the enforcement staff people? That's not supposed to happen. Uh, and so now uh, McNair's lawyers are going to have the right to look for that, and they're going to have the right to find it and to dis- have that come out in discovery. And uh, there's some potentially very interesting things if, uh, if there is anything there. So uh, from what we're hearing, it's going to take a while. This isn't going to happen overnight. The NCA certainly doesn't want it to happen overnight. They'd like it to uh, they just like to push it as, as, as many months down the road as they can. But uh, uh, I think uh, the law firm representing, uh, you know, Todd McNair, I think they really know what they're doing. And uh, what, what you know, I wish, you know, obviously we're not lawyers here, but we certainly heard from some people in the legal community who said the NCA has really gotten themselves in a bind here. And, uh, Probably they don't know what to do at this point in time, and uh, we'll see how this all plays out. But uh, we certainly will. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll <laughs> you know, and it's so because none of this is happening in court. None of it's happening publicly. There aren't any hearings. There aren't any witnesses or whatever. This is all you know between the lawyers and the judge. You know, and and so and their orders and and, and what have you. But it's not like you know there's any trial to cover or whatever it's basically all going on uh you know kind of behind the scenes and uh, under the radar but uh from what we hear a lot's happening all right well we'll keep you guys up to date on the peristyle podcast of course and uh today we reached out over uh twitter and facebook so we have a bunch of questions dan so i think we'll try to rapid okay. fire fire through some of these um okay. you can follow us on twitter at inside troy all one word, and you can follow us on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash uscfootball.com. You have to spell out the dot D-O-T. So you can, uscfootball.com, you can follow us on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, let's go to Twitter first. Jason wants to know, do you think they'll honor number 55 with a retired but usable jersey? Yeah, you know, I, I, I do think uh, in the discussion on the, on the Parastyle this week, I think the, the point made that, you know, you can't honor uh, – you know, Junior Seau any better than having, you know, someone on the field wearing his jersey. Um, so, you know, I really like that idea of, uh, and, and it's been the tradition anyway. So uh, I, I think that's the way to go. And uh, and I think you can, you know, retire it with the understanding that it will always be available, you know, to the, you know, the right player who will, uh, you know, represent Junior Seau and, and what he meant to USC and to all football. Uh, so I, I think that's the way to go, uh, to do both of those things. I like that as well. Uh, yeah, he, since he basically started that tradition, I think it's a good way to, to honor him more. Um, also on Twitter, Andrew, real quick, what's the strong point of the defense and the weak point this year? Well, I think the strong point is the fact that they really uh, know what they're doing. If you take the the back seven and the two defensive ends, you've got that nine nine man umbrella pyramid kind of a thing. All of whom really know what they're doing. All of whom can really run to the football. Uh, I think the you know generally team speed is is outstanding. Uh, and I think the will 
to run to the football. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the understanding that, you know, I think a lot of what they were doing last year is they were getting ready for uh, Oregon and they were getting ready to run to the football and they were getting more athletic and, and with Lamar Dawson, uh, you know, able to be in there and, and to solidify that, you know, athlete at every position who can run to the football and tackle in space and all that. I think that's the, that's the, uh, clearly the strength of this defense. Uh, uh, you know, I think the thing that, you know, they've got to really work on are those uh, young uh, defensive tackles, the two uh, inside guys. George Yuka has got a lot of ability. Uh, you know, they certainly want to see him uh, play with uh, all of that ability on every play and just really, really, uh, you know, become the, you know, the, the, the outstanding player, this, you know, Sean Cody uh, type player who who can make plays just on his own ability, and then uh, and then rotate uh, a good bit, and we'll see. Uh, you know, I think Antoine Woods and Jr. Tavai give a, a different look. Uh, you know, and they uh, Jr. can play on both both uh, positions, and and we're going to see what happens with you know uh, a Cody Temple and a you know Christian Hayward and guys we haven't seen much of, but who maybe really do have some potential to uh, to rotate in and out uh but uh but i think that's uh that, that will be uh you know if those two spots uh you know get solidified uh they could be really pretty good on defense i mean they could be, it could be the biggest improvement uh from one year to the next that, that i think we've seen at, at usc in, in one unit all right cool okay uh i'm going to go over to facebook now uh Chris and Natalie, Chris, Natalie, you guys sharing a Facebook. That's pretty aggressive right there. But he wants to know, uh, will, with Matt Khalil drafted into the NFL, how strong will a left tackle position be to cover Matt Barkley so he can get his Heisman? Uh, uh, it'd be interesting to see. Uh, I mean, Matt Khalil is, you know, I mean, here they've had, you know, the right tackle the year before who goes into the NFL as the number one, uh, you know, offensive line pick. And then they have a left tackle who goes into the NFL this year is the number one offensive line pick. So, uh, you know, that's the good news and the bad news together because that's two pretty good players that you, uh, you know, that you lose on, on each end. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. I think that, I think because of the fact that they've got four starters back, I think they're going to have some ability to do some things that maybe they didn't have to do with, uh, with Matt, where they could basically put Matt out there on an Island and know that, he could handle the speed rushers. He could take, you know, uh, let them go, and and they could run it up inside him, and he could go down and uh, pick off a linebacker or two. Uh, and and maybe this year they'll do some different things. For example, it wouldn't surprise me to see them pulling a guard uh, if there's a, a speed rusher out there that really, uh, you know, could be a problem. Uh, pulling a guard and, and, and nailing him, you know, with a you know, say John Martinez coming across and, uh, and doing some things that maybe they didn't do last year uh, that will enable them to maybe protect Matt just as well, but maybe to do it differently. Uh, so I think the, the experience and having four guys back and having a Mark, you know, Markowitz back as well with, you know, his experience that, uh, that they're going to be able to, you know, kind of as a unit, give them, give Matt that same kind of protection. I think one of the things we probably have underestimated with Matt is his ability 
to have a real feel now. You can see what, what it means to be a veteran and, you know, going into your fourth year. He's really got a feel for where the pressure is coming and where his quick outlets are. And I think that played in as much as anything the fact that they really only gave up seven sacks, which was would have been number one in the country if they wouldn't have called that uh, crazy, unbelievable uh, intentional grounding at, uh, at Oregon that, that actually became statistically a sack. But uh, uh, I think they'll do it differently. I think they've got a chance to be about as effective as they were last year in protecting Matt. I think Matt's, uh, uh, you know, one more year of experience really allows him to know uh, field pressure and get rid of the ball to somebody that can catch it and make a play. Uh, and they're going to have enough when you look at the tight ends and wide receivers. They're going to have enough guys that uh, are going to find an open spot. So that, that, that uh, I think that that protection of the quarterback is a whole lot more going on than just, say, your left tackle, for example. Okay. Uh, thanks, Chris and Allie, for that one. Let's go. We'll stay with Facebook and go to Paul. How is our linebacker depth? Oh, I think it's uh, – I mean, I think it's potentially very good. I mean, I think, you know, obviously you're looking at a couple of, uh, you know, true freshmen in, uh, uh, in the middle there with, uh, you know, you're looking at Javari Ruffin coming in behind uh, Scott Starr or with Scott Starr. Uh, so uh, – but I think they've really helped uh, by bringing up uh, 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 Tony Burnett and backing up uh, Deion Bailey with Tony Burnett, a similar, you know, kind of, um, you know, undersized maybe. Uh, he might be able to play at 210, uh, but extremely quick, uh, big-time hitter, runs the football really, really well. Uh, I think that alone uh, helps the depth there. And then you've got on the other side, uh, uh, you know, uh, we've got Mr. Sorrell, uh who – you know, is as good an open field tackler, and uh, you know, he redshirted last year, had a great year on the scout team, and uh, they're going to get him a little bit bigger too. I think they want him at least at 215, uh, but behind Hayes uh, Pollard, and I think uh, so. I think the potential for uh, for the depth, and then there are some, you know, you know, some veterans who've been there for uh, you know a couple of years who uh, you know who could definitely fit in. You know, Will Andrew and and Dallas Kelly, and uh, I think the depth is, is and, and Marcus Simmons, if he, uh, you know, has had some injury issues and all that, but uh, I think the depth is better at linebacker than it's ever been. All right, let's go back to Twitter. This is from uh, Left Coast Bias One. That's a neat Twitter handle. He says, curious how focused the team looks with a uh, target on their back as the preseason favorites to hold up the crystal. You know what? I think they like the target. I think they want to. That's where Matt Barkley has done such a wonderful job. I think they have talked a great deal about being the team with the target in the middle of all the hoopla that could possibly, you know, result uh, uh, from, you know, just the story of, you know, the team with 10 fewer scholarships than anybody else in the country being picked, uh, you know, one, two, being picked to be in the championship game. Uh, I think, to be honest, I think that's a good thing. I think you want to have that target on your back. You want to go into every game not thinking, well, if we stumble here, we'll still be able to maybe – no. I think they know 
that every game is a championship game. Every game matters as much as every other game. And uh, having that target on their back, I think, is really a good thing. And I think they're going to – the general feeling is they want the target on their back. They've been, you know, been without the target on their back for a couple of years. And they don't like it. I don't, You know, Matt Barkley and Robert Woods and those guys, I think they want that target on their back. And they want to, you know, dare somebody to try to do something about it. Uh, so uh, I think that's a real plus, the target on the back, the, the high expectations uh, for this team is exactly what this team needs and wants. And wants. Okay, uh, let's go back to Facebook. Mike had a quest- two questions on Sarah High School grads. Uh, Mike wants to know how Robert Woods is doing, still recovering from ankle surgery, and Jeff What's an update on Farmer's hammy? Well, Farmer said that I, the last time we talked to him, which wasn't that long ago, he said it was real close. Uh, and he said that he now understands how much he has to understand his body and understand all the things. I mean, I think they probably stretch him more than anybody before practice, and he may need more stretching than that. And, uh, you know, I think uh, he may have tried a little bit too hard to get himself into the middle of everything and possibly pushed himself a little bit harder. I mean, it's, he's got a more difficult situation. He's a much more heavily muscled guy than, uh, uh, than, than Marquise Lee even, or certainly Robert. And so uh, he's got to get himself prepared every day and, and for, you know, the summer workouts and the fall practice and all that he's got to do it in a different way and when you go around I've been around the track team a few times here recently and you could tell you know they've got you know some of the like in the 400 they've got probably three of the you know 10 best uh, including the best in the country and you realize how either these guys are like uh, you know like thoroughbred racehorses in terms of you really got to be very careful they're so heavily muscled and yet you know, run it at such a high level. And I think George almost has to approach it as if he's a track guy getting ready for, you know, a 100-meter dash as opposed to a football guy. And uh, I I think he will, and I think he understands that, and I think he's probably not had to do that before, and he's probably not been in a competitive situation where he's really tried to, you know, to show uh, what he could do. As to Robert, I think Robert – has really convinced himself that the key is not trying to push through it and trying to come back too soon and trying to, you know, show that, you know, I can, uh, I can deal with this and, you know, there aren't any games, you know, in the next uh, four months. So he doesn't need to come back uh, uh, until July when they pretty much set the date. So I think they basically said, just cool it. Uh, you know, let let it heal, let it, uh, you know, just there's nothing that you need to do. And I think, you know, they convinced him over, you know, spring practice that, uh, that there wasn't anything that he needed to do. And I think it worked out really well that he could help out, sort of be uh, almost an undergrad assistant on the field every day, but, uh, but not pounded on that ankle. And uh, just, you know, just take it easy until July. And so... Uh, I don't think there's a, it's not like a progress report because basically he's not doing anything. He's just 
cool in it. And uh, that's the best, I think, story uh, that you can have is that Robert has decided I'm going to take it very easy. Okay, we got a few more we'll try to squeeze in here. At Greg Katz, do you notice any kickoff techniques? Uh, did you notice any kick, kickoff techniques to accommodate the new kickoff at the 25-yard line rule? Thanks, Ryan. Great show. They didn't do any uh, that we could really tell. I mean, I think they did a little bit more coverage than maybe they did last spring where they they almost didn't do, um, do much of any uh, special teams work. Uh, they did a little bit more this year. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> that's a good question, and I think it's one we really got to uh, – I, I sat in on a session with the, with the USC football coaches uh, uh, clinic uh, with Coach Baxter where he really talked about uh, uh, their kickoff coverage and, you know, the fact that they had two returned on him and he had gone 13 years at, at Fresno without giving up a single <laughs> – a single kickoff return, uh, you know, for a touchdown. And I don't know that they're completely sure exactly uh, what went wrong in terms of, uh, you know, do they need to change the uh, the scheme or not. Um, uh, but I think that's something that's going to get a lot of attention once, uh, you know, once August comes around, that they're going to – I think they're probably going to have more athletes, more guys that can run. Uh, one of the problems – can be that if you've got a bunch of guys that can fly, you do have the tendency at times to have those guys run by the play. I mean, they're just running, you know, and I know uh, Coach Baxter says, you know, we'll never second guess you. We'll never criticize you if you do, if you, if you, if you're going full speed, if you're going full speed and, and trying to make a play good for you. Uh, but it did look like, the fact that they were going full speed maybe opened up, uh, you know, the seam a little bigger for uh, the Atkinson kids from Notre Dame and, and for DeAnthony. It, it just seemed to create more of a more of a seam as those guys almost were so eager, you know, to get down there and make a play that uh, they may have taken themselves out of those two uh, kickoff return touchdowns. So, uh, uh, but as of yet, I don't think they've completely decided what, you know, what their strategy is going to be on, on the kickoff. I know, you know, last year they basically said, you know, uh, Andre Hardara could have kicked them all, almost all into the end zone, but they wanted him to kick directionally pretty much to that right uh, pylon inside the five yard line and make them return it from there. Uh, whether they keep, whether that stays is their, is their philosophy or not. I don't think we know yet. And I think we will know uh, we'll know more in August whether we'll know absolutely. Uh, I don't think they're going to give that away, uh, but we'll know by seeing what they're doing uh, and how they do it. But that's a good question. It's something we got to keep our eyes on, and, and and I think it's a key question. All right, then we got a last couple from Facebook. Kevin wants to know when's Kevin Green going to get a shot at playing defensive line somewhere. I've seen the guy in person a few times. He seems like he's head and shoulders ahead of everyone as far as his athleticism. Well, he's, <clears throat> he's really a great kid, a good student, works hard, done great in the weight room. Uh, uh, you know, he's, he's just uh, he, he's everything you could want uh, other than the fact that he started late in football. And I do think one of the key things that a defensive lineman has to be able to do much like a wide receiver, 
is create separation and be, be able to get disengaged from your blockers. And I know the thing that Kevin's been working on, you know, w- with his strength and his fitness and all the things he can do is getting his hips a little freer uh, and more flexible so that he can disengage from the blockers. Basically, they're just trying to slow you down, hold you up, make you run a wider, uh, you know, if you're, you know, it's a pass rush situation or whatever, or just pretty much stay engaged with you uh, if it's a run, you know, to your side. And I think that's the key for Kevin because, uh, you know, he, uh, as they say, you know, in basketball, you walk in, you got the all airport team because you got a bunch of seven footers. He's an all airport team defensive end. I mean, he just looks, I mean, if you said this kid's playing for the, you know, an NFL team, nobody would, would bat an eye. You know, he, he certainly looks the part and he certainly wants to be, uh, you know, be a, a contributor and, and he's going to get a chance. Uh, but, uh, I think the key is his ability to disengage from the uh, offensive lineman and uh, and put himself in a position to make a play. All right, Dan. Well, thanks for uh, coming on the show again and answering all the questions from Twitter and Facebook. Thanks for everyone sending those in. It's cool. We'll have to try that, especially during the off season when things kind of slow down. There's always questions on people's mind, and it's great we can hear from people on Facebook and Twitter. Yeah, those are good questions, uh, guys. They're on the money, I think. They're asking the right questions and the things that, that we gotta, you know, we'll keep looking at and uh, the things that matter. All right. Well, Dan, thanks again for uh, coming on the show. And everyone else, thank you very much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. We're going to have Gerard Martinez on a little later on in the week answering your recruiting questions, so you can send those in to podcast at uscfootball.com as well. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 